Act Two of the Gay Lord Quacks by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The second act. The scene represents a portion of an English garden laid out in Italian fashion. At the extreme back, upon ground slightly raised, two dense cypress hedges about sixteen feet high form an alley running from right to left in the centre of the hedge which is nearer the spectator there is an opening and at this opening are three or four steps connecting the higher with the lower level beyond the alley nothing is seen but the sky and some tree-tops in advance is an enclosure formed by a dwarf cypress hedge about four feet in height also broken in the centre by an opening and running off right and left at a sharp angle on the outside of the dwarf hedge is a walk and beyond on the right and left are trees within the enclosure on the left is a small fountain facing the fountain on the right a piece of old broken sculpture other bits of antique sculpture are placed in different parts of the garden in the foreground on the right towards the centre stands a stone bench on the left of which is a table upon which are the remains of afternoon tea with a garden chair a similar stone bench stands opposite the light is that of a very fine evening lady albridge is in the garden chair asleep an open book in her lap quacks and muriel stand talking together by the fountain on the right-hand stone bench the duchess of strood and mrs eden are seated the duchess is a daintily beautiful doll of about seven and thirty a poseuse outwardly dignified and stately when upon her guard really a frail shallow little creature full of extravagant sentimentality until lady albridge wakes the conversation is carried on in subdued tones mrs eden indicating muriel and quacks they make a fascinating couple don't they duchess duchess with placid melancholy <sighs> to see two people on the threshold of wedlock is always painfully interesting i am quite triumphant about it it is such a delightful engagement now that the horrid difficulties are smoothed away yes you were telling me of some sad obstacles i nearly perished of them very confidentially there's no doubt you know that his past has been exceptionally naughty really ah don't be surprised that i am not more deeply shocked in these surroundings it is hard to realize that every aspect of life is not as lovely as pointing to the foliage the tones of those exquisite deep greens for example however the dear thing is going to be so good in the future turning to the duchess i keep forgetting lord quex is a very old friend of yours duchess serenely an acquaintance of many years standing but since his grace has been an invalid we have lived much abroad or in seclusion and gossip has not reached us alas you find me a ready subject a désillusionné. rising we are in the sun shall we walk mrs eden sympathetically as they walk is his grace still very unwell duchess smiling sadly upon mrs eden he is still over seventy they wander away through the trees as quacks and muriel leave the fountain quacks with tender playfulness first glancing at the sleeping lady albridge and so all these good things are to befall me after to-morrow muriel in a low voice 
after tomorrow when i approach i shall no longer see you skim away into the far vista of these alleys or shrink back into the shadows of the corridors prosaically after tomorrow no not after tomorrow in place of a cold word a chilling phrase a warm one after tomorrow i'm going to try if i touch your hand you'll not slip it behind your back in a hurry touching her hand muriel withdrawing it not after tomorrow she sits he stands behind the stone bench leaning over the back of it but why may i ask is this bliss reserved till after tomorrow i had rather you did not ask me quex no i see i am a day too soon in putting even that little question ah i'll tell you this i'm going to turn over a new leaf after tomorrow you your pages are all milk white what can you detect upon one of them to induce you to turn it muriel gazing into space i i've been scribbling there scrawling drawing pictures pictures of what you shall know perhaps some day after tomorrow yes quex but after many tomorrows two men-servants an old man and a young one descend the steps and proceed to remove the tea-things lady albridge waking eh seeing muriel and quex ah my dears i am reading such an absorbing book muriel by her side taking the book may i you should study the dean of st Olphert's sermons and you henry quex taking the book from muriel and turning its pages yes i must i must by the way has anything been seen of that nice young manicure girl miss sophie something sophie fulgarney she arrived at about half-past four and i asked mrs gregory to show her over the house i thought you would not object object it pleases me she is roving about the grounds now an exceedingly prepossessing young woman of her class the servants have gone up the steps carrying the tea-things the elder servant looking down the alley towards the left i see the young person my lady i'll speak to her bristow the elder servant goes off towards the left the younger one bearing the tray to the right the duchess and mrs eden return above the low cypress hedge quex meets them i would not have left her but the young man she is engaged to brought her down and i took it upon myself to give him permission to remain oh is miss fulgarney engaged to mr valma the palmist mrs eden approaching valma the palmist what is a palmist pray he reads your past and your future in the lines of your hands it's his profession dear lady obridge oh do let us have him into the drawing-room after dinner i hear he is simply charming charming rising what are our ladies coming to dear dear me in my day such follies and superstitions were entirely restricted to the kitchen muriel joins the duchess quex is dutifully looking into the book of sermons the servant returns followed by sophie and then retires sophie comes forward beamingly she's prettily dressed but in silver colours sophie to lady albridge 
Here I am, my lady. I'm having such a good time. That's right. Oh, this garden. They may well call it heavenly. They ought not to call it that, my dear, but it is indeed full of earthly solace. It must be. And what a place for a bicycle. Muriel reprovingly. Bicycles are not allowed to enter these grounds, Sophie. Oh. Miss Eden tells me you are accompanied by the young man to whom you are engaged to be married. I hope I haven't taken too great a liberty. Lady Albridge, looking around. I don't see him. He has run back to the station. I've just found out I left my bag in the fly that brought us here. So stupid of me. Mrs. Gregory will give you both dinner. Thank you, my lady. The Duchess is now seated in the garden chair. The younger of the two servants enters, carrying Sophie's bag and the evening papers. Servant, handing the bag to Sophie. The cabman has brought your bag back, miss. There now, much obliged. To Mrs. Eden. Poor Mr. Velma will have his tramp for nothing, won't he? Sophie and Mrs. Eden talk together. The evening papers, Morgan? Servant, who has laid the papers upon the table. Yes, my lady. The servant retires. So late? We must go in and dress. Duchess, who has been occupied in observing quacks. I'll follow you, dear Lady Albridge. Lady Albridge moves away and is joined by Mrs. Eden. Mrs. Eden, as she ascends the steps with Lady Albridge. Sophie, I shall be ready for you in a quarter of an hour. All right, Mrs. Eden. Lady Albridge and Mrs. Eden disappear. Muriel, crossing to Sophie. Wouldn't you like to walk through the gates to meet Mr. Velma? Thanks, dear, I think I would. I can show you a nearer way than by going back to the house. Pointing into the distance. Follow this hedge and take the second alley, not the first, on your left. When you reach the big fountain... Quex, still dipping into the sermons, has come down to the back of the table. He now throws the book upon the table and picks up a newspaper. I beg your pardon, Duchess. I didn't see you. Harry. Eh? I will hurry into my gown and return. Be here in a quarter of an hour. May I ask the reason? Duchess, a newspaper in her hand, talking to him in undertones over the top of it. For a week only the merest commonplaces have passed between us. I must relieve my heart. It is bursting. I entreat you to consider my position. Yours? Have I no reputation to endanger? Rising, laying the paper aside. What a pitiably small request. You will grant it. If you could see your way to excuse me. In memory of the past, I demand it. Quacks with a stiff bow. Oh, oh, certainly. Duchess, leaving him. Thank you. Quacks to himself. Damn. He turns on his heel and walks away. Duchess, joining Muriel. You are coming to dress? Muriel, after smiling assent, presenting Sophie. Miss Fulgarney was my first playmate, Duchess. Duchess, looking upon Sophie graciously. Ah. To Muriel. The souvenirs of childhood are sweet, are they not? She slips her arm through Muriel's, and they ascend the steps and go away together. Sophie comes to the stone bench on the left, upon which she deposits her bag. She opens the bag, produces a little mirror and a comb, and puts her fringe in order. 
humming as she does so an air from the latest comic opera then she returns the comb and mirror to the bag and bag in hand prepares to depart while this is going on quacks returns above the low hedge he ascends the steps and looks off into the distance watching the retreating figure of the duchess after a moment or two he shrugs his shoulders in a perplexed troubled way and coming down the steps encounters sophie sophie innocently lovely evening my lord quacks passing her with a nod and a smile very very at the table he exchanges the newspaper he carries for another she is going in the direction indicated by muriel suddenly she pauses above the dwarf cypress hedge and stands looking at quacks with an expression in which fear and determination are mingled having selected his newspaper quacks crosses to the left and sits reading sophie coming to him i don't think i shall go after all quacks lowering his paper eh i was just starting off down to the gates you know to meet mr velma quacks with amiable indifference oh sophie her head upon one side smiling but it's too hot for walking isn't it quacks resuming his reading it is warm sophie putting her bag upon the table and removing her gloves Phew. she eyes him askance undecided as to a plan of action he lowers his paper again disconcerting her you don't feel you ought to go and meet your mr valma sophie edging towards him i might miss him mightn't i certainly you might besides it wouldn't do for me to attend upon mrs jack mrs eden all puffing and tousled archly now would it quacks resuming his reading you're the best judge so i've a quarter of an hour to fill in somehow a pause i've a quarter of an hour to fill in somehow quacks behind his paper beginning to be extremely bored indeed sophie quaking i i wish there were some quiet little shady places to ramble about in here at fauncy court there are several are there are there quacks turning his paper oh yes a great many you see i'm a stranger quacks kindly well you run along you'll find them she walks away slowly baffled he glances at her over his paper slightly puzzled have you seen the grotto sophie turning sharply no quacks pointing towards the right it's in that direction grotto dark i suppose and lonelyish you said you desired shade and quiet yes but not darkness fancy me in a grotto all by myself by myself quacks behind his paper again i'm afraid i have no further suggestion to offer there is another pause then her face lights up and she comes down to him swiftly sophie close to him show me your nails my lord quacks lowering his paper my nails sophie taking his hand and examining it excuse me oh my lord for shame you take exception to them this is hacking not cutting you ought never to be allowed within a mile of a pair of scissors quacks looking at his other hand oh come they're hardly as bad as all that sophie examining that hand also <laughs> quacks 
rising somewhat abashed ha i confess i am a little unskilled at such operations no gentleman should trust to himself where his nails are concerned why a man's hand has lost him a young lady's affections before this i've heard of heaps of cases where matches have been broken off quacks putting his hands behind him smiling really the results of manicure are far more far-reaching than i had imagined you see my lord when a man's courting he is free to look his young lady in the face for as long as he chooses it's considered proper and attentive but the girl is expected to drop her eyes and then what has she to look at why a well-trimmed hand or an ugly one taking off her rings now then i'll do wonders for you in ten minutes thank you i'm not going indoors just yet no need to go indoors depositing her rings upon the table and opening her bag i've got my bag here with all my tools see ah but i won't trouble you this evening another occasion sophie arranging her manicure instruments etc upon the table no trouble at all my lord quite an honour indicating the stone bench please sit down there producing a little brass bowl water she runs to the fountain and fills her bowl from its basin quacks crossing hesitatingly to the right looking at his nails and speaking in a formal manner you have been bidden to fancy court for rest and relaxation miss Fogarney. it is most obliging of you to allow your pleasure to be disturbed in this way sophie returning to him oh don't say that my lord putting the bowl on the table and dragging the garden chair forward to face him business is a pleasure sometimes her close proximity to him forces him back upon the bench quacks seated stiffly you must at least let me open an account at your excellent establishment not i seated taking his right hand one may work occasionally for love i should hope archly <laughs> just for love eh quacks uncomfortably no no i couldn't permit it i couldn't permit it sophie holding his hand almost caressingly well well we'll see we'll see she clips his nails briskly and methodically while she does so she again hums a song looking up at him at intervals enticingly under her lashes breaking off in her song my goodness what a smooth young hand you have quacks his discomfort increasing uh indeed many a man of six-and-twenty would be glad to own such hands i can tell you patting his hand reprovingly keep still it is now his turn to hum a song which he does under his breath to disguise his embarrassment she looks up at him but then you're an awfully young man for your age in every way aren't you quacks gazing at the sky oh i don't know about that sophie slyly you do know wagging her head at him you do know quacks relaxing slightly it may be so of course without one's being conscious of it maybe so ah not conscious of it <laughs> slapping his hand again soundly artful quacks flattered and amused no no i assure you <laughs> they laugh together his constraint gradually diminishes after shaking some liquid soap from a bottle into the bowl she places the bowl beside him on the bench sophie while doing this 
My young ladies at a hundred and eighty-five all agree with me about you. Do they? Yes, do they. Your young ladies? My girls. <laughs> and what terrible pronouncement has a hundred and eighty-five to pass upon me? Seven and thirty, you look. Not a day older. That's what we say. There, dip your fingers in that, do. Into this? Sophie, thrusting his fingers into the bowl. Baby. The water splashes over her dress and his coat. Oh. I beg your pardon. Now what have you done? Wiping the water from his coat. You clumsy boy. Thanks, thanks. She commences operations upon his left hand. He is now thoroughly entertained by her freedom and audacity. <laughs> Do you know what I maintain? <laughs> upon my word, I dread to think. Why, that every man who looks younger than his years should be watched by the police. Good heavens, Sophie, uh, Miss Fulgarney. Yes, as a dangerous person. Dangerous? Oh, come. Sophie, with the suggestion of a wink. Dangerous. The man who is younger than he ought to be is always no better than he should be. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right, eh? Putting her cheek near his lips, speaking in a low voice, breathlessly, her eyes averted. Tell me whether I'm right, my lord. For the first time, a suspicion of her designs crosses his mind. He draws back slowly, eyeing her. There is a pause. Quacks, in an altered tone, but keeping her in play. <laughs> Looking at his watch. I, I am afraid I shall have to run away to dress for dinner very soon. Sophie, resuming her work, disappointed. Not yet. You've plenty of time. But there, dangerous or not dangerous, in my heart I can't help holding with what my lady customers are continually saying. Quacks, watching her keenly. No. And what are your lady customers continually saying? Why, that the young fellows of the day are such conceited, apish creatures. No man under forty-five is worth wasting a minute's time over. Oh. They say that, your lady customers? Yes, and they're good judges they are. Good judges? None better. None better. Sophie, laying her clipper aside suddenly, and putting her hand to her eyes, with a cry of pain. Oh! Quacks coolly. What's the matter? Sophie, rising. A little splinter has flown into my eye. It often happens. Quacks, rising. Extremely painful, I expect. Sophie, producing her handkerchief. Very. Giving him her handkerchief. Do you think you could find it? Certainly, if it's to be found. Sophie, holding the lapels of his coat, her head almost upon his shoulder, her eyes closed. Ah, uh, please make haste and look for it. Right or left? The the left. Quacks sharply. Raise your head. Stand up. Sophie, releasing his coat and raising her head. Eh? Open your eyes, both of them. She opens her eyes and stares at him. He returns her handkerchief. There. I have removed the splinter. She slowly backs away, like a whipped child. He follows her. Miss Fulgarney, I understand you are engaged to be married to this young man, Valma. Sophie, tremblingly. Yes, my lord. Do you care for him? Yes, in love with him? Oh, yes, my lord, indeed. And yet you still flirt? Y yes Take my advice. 
Be satisfied with the kisses your sweetheart gives you. Don't try to get them from other men, old or young. No, no. Quacks sternly but kindly. You little fool. Pollitt enters, wearing a tall hat and lemon-coloured gloves. Pollitt jealously. Sophie. Quacks walks away. Sophie falteringly. The flyman brought back the bag, Valmadir. I am aware of that. Lowering his voice. What are you doing here with Lord Quex? I... I've been manicuring him. The younger servant comes down the steps. Servant to Sophie. Mrs. Eden is quite ready for you, miss. She hurriedly replaces her manicure instruments, etc., in the bag, hands the bowl to the servant, and without looking at Pollitt or Quex, goes swiftly up the steps and disappears. The servant follows her, carrying the bowl. Pollitt to Quex. Excuse me, my lord. Quex coming forward and picking up his newspaper. Eh? That young lady and I are engaged to be married. Mr. Valma? Yes, my lord. And I very much object to her manicuring gentleman. Well, there you have a little something to discuss at home, before, and perhaps after, marriage. I consider the custom of ladies manicuring gentlemen one that may occasionally lead to undue familiarity, my lord. I am inclined to agree with you, sir. And I shall do all I can to persuade Miss Fulgeny to relinquish active participation in the business. The palmistry profession is a flourishing one at present, eh, Mr. Valma? My engagement book is always full. I have disappointed several ladies by coming here this afternoon. Poor woman! Nevertheless, pray be careful how you slight the manicure trade. Crazes die, you know. Nails grow. Pullet, tapping his breast. I think we have come to stay, my lord. Quacks lightly. Well, you're sailing pretty close to the wind. Remember, you fellows. My lord. Quacks, replacing his newspaper upon the table. And if some day you should find yourself in the police court, alongside a poor old woman whose hand has been crossed with a threepenny bit down an area. The Duchess appears on the further side of the low cypress hedge. She's dressed for dinner. The sky is now faintly rosy, and during the ensuing scene it deepens into a rich sunset. We are going to have a flaming sunset, Duchess. Superb, Pollitt, haughtily. I wish you good evening, my lord. Oh, good evening, Mr. Valma. To himself. Impudent beggar. Pollitt walks away. After watching his going, the Duchess comes eagerly forward. Duchess, her hand upon her heart. Oh, I am here, Harry. Quacks, in delicate protest. Ah, my dear Duchess. Fortunately, I have been able to dress quickly without exciting curiosity. My maid was summoned away this afternoon to her father, who is sick. Sinking onto the bench. Still, these risks are considerable enough. And yet you deliberately court them. Great passions involve great dangers. The history of the world shows that. But why now, now that circumstances are altered between us? Why, on earth, do you play these hazardous tricks now? I was determined to meet, to know, 
the girl with whom you are about to ranger yourself harry even that could have been arrived at in some safer way ah but you fail to see it was the daring of this proceeding that attracted me the romance of it quacks raising his hands romance still always it is the very blood in my veins it keeps me young i shall die a romantic girl however old i may be you ought you really ought to have flourished in the middle ages you have frequently made that observation rising i do live in the middle ages in my imagination i live in every age in which love was not a cool level emotion but a fierce all-conquering flame a flame that grew in the heart of a woman that of a sudden spread through her whole organism that lit up her eyes with a light more refulgent than the light of sun or moon laying her hand upon his arm oh oh this poor thin modern sentiment miscalled love quacks edging away Shh, pray be careful <sighs> yes but dear harry i cannot endure the ordeal any longer the ordeal the prolonged discomfort to which i have subjected myself of watching your wooing of miss eden i must go quacks with ill-concealed relief go leave us i recognize how fitting it is that you should bring your wild irregular career to a close but after to-morrow i shall cease to be a spectator of these preliminaries quacks his eyes sparkling after to-morrow yes i rejoin poor dear strood on friday true he has four nurses he always had four nurses if you remember quacks sympathetically three or four but then nurses are but nurses nobly i must not forget that i am a wife harry no no you mustn't forget that duchess gazing into his eyes and so between you and me placing her hands upon his shoulders it is over over finally irrevocably over quacks freeing himself absolutely over taking her hand and bowing over it solemnly done with he walks away duchess moving slowly that is almost over quacks turning sharply almost we have yet to say good-bye you know quacks returning to her apprehensively we we have said good-bye ah no no quacks again bowing over her hand with simulated feeling good-bye duchess looking around what here quacks humouring her this romantic old garden pointing to the statuary these silent witnesses beholders it is likely of many similar scenes the the, the setting sun could any situation be more appropriate but we are liable to be interrupted at any moment the joint romance of our lives harry ought not to end with a curt word and formal handshake in an exposed spot of this kind sitting in the garden chair oh 
it cannot must not end so quacks eyeing her uneasily frankly i see nothing else for it i can't credit it why what was the second reason for my coming here second reason that our parting might be in keeping with our great attachment impossible impracticable in every way impossible duchess taking his hand oh don't say that dear harry ah the auguries tell me that what i ask will be quacks omitting in his anxiety to withdraw his hand the auguries fate coincidence call it what you please foreshadows one more meeting between us coincidence harry do you remember a particular evening at stockholm stockholm that evening upon which we discovered how much our society meant to each other quacks vaguely while he hastily recovers possession of his hand at stockholm was it he was sailing with us in the baltic you must recollect our yacht had put in at stockholm we had come to the grand hotel strood had retired and you and i were sitting out upon the balcony watching the lights of the cafe on the norbro and the tiny steamboats that stole to and fro across the harbour surely you recollect yes yes of course well do you remember the brand of the champagne you sipped while you and i sat smoking good lord no felix poubelle carte d'or you remarked that it was a brand unknown to you have you ever met it since harry not that i nor i till last night at dinner it is in this very house quacks with a slight shrug of the shoulders extremely probable and do you remember how i was clad that evening at stockholm i'm afraid i don't couleur de rose garni de vert i have just such another garment with me really do you remember in what month we were at stockholm no june this month nor the day of the week it must be ten years ago wednesday there stands the record in my diary diary good heavens you are not so indiscreet no no only the words warm evening yes it was upon a wednesday what is today wednesday duchess rising harry i want to see you sipping that brand of champagne once more while you and i sit facing one another silently dreamily smoking argyropoulos quacks negatively duchess to end as we began you have not the heart to refuse i you do refuse i do she passes him and again sinks upon the bench duchess her back towards him her shoulders heaving oh oh i i am profoundly sorry to be obliged to speak to you in this fashion oh then i cannot go on friday not no 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 believe me 
It would be better for you, for me, for everybody. I cannot. Producing a diminutive lace handkerchief. In the first shock of the news of your engagement, for it was a shock, one thought consoled me. Throughout the time that has elapsed since then, I have fed upon this same thought. There will be a parting in keeping with our great attachment. And now you would rob me even of that. But, but, but a solemn, deliberate leave-taking? The ceremony of all others to be carefully avoided. Not by me, Harry, not by me. I wish to carry in my breast from this house the non-despair of a piteous climax. I cannot drive away smugly from these gates with the simple feelings of a woman who has been paying a mere visit. I cannot. My dear Sidonia. I say, I can not. Quacks to himself with a little groan. Oh, phew. He walks to and fro impatiently, reflecting. Sophie, without her hat, comes quickly down the steps, as if making for the table. Seeing Quacks and the Duchess, she draws back inquisitively. Quacks, by the Duchess's side again, helplessly. Well, I... I... Duchess, rising eagerly, laying a hand upon his arm. You will! Sophie stoops down, behind the dwarf cypress hedge. You are certain? Certain that this would effectually remove the obstacle to your rejoining? With a wave of the hand. On Friday? Why, do you think I would risk an anticlimax? In an intense whisper. Tonight. Louder. Tonight. He hesitates a little longer, then bows in assent, stiffly and coldly. She gives an ardent sigh. <sighs> he retreats a step or two. She draws herself up with dignity. Tonight, then. She turns from him and glides away through the trees. He stands for a moment, a frown upon his face, in thought. Quacks, suddenly moving in the direction she has taken. No, no, Duchess. A gong sounds in the distance. He pauses, looking at his watch angrily. Pshaw! He turns up the stage and discovers Sophie, who is now standing behind the hedge. Hello! Sophie advances, laughing rather foolishly. What are you doing here? Looking for my rings. I took them off before I began manicuring you. Quacks, pointing to the hedge. You didn't drop them there, did you? No, I left them on the table. Quacks, looking towards the table. There's the table. Sophie, coming to the table and putting on her rings. Yes, I know. How long have you been here? I? Oh, I'd just come as you spoke to me. Quacks, half satisfied. Oh. He goes up the steps, gives her a parting look, and disappears. It is now twilight. Mrs. Eden, Frayne, and Muriel, all dressed for dinner, appear on the other side of the low hedge. Mrs. Eden, to Frayne, walking with him above the hedge. Delightful, isn't it? It was planted by the late Lord Albridge's father a hundred years ago. Frayne, seeing Sophie... Why, isn't that the young manicure lady? Yes, all these pieces of sculpture are genuine old Italian. This quaint little fountain came from the Villa Marcotti. Frayne, edging towards Sophie. Alluring. This is the fountain. 
Frain, returning to her. Quaint old fountain. Sophie, to Muriel, across the hedge in a whisper. Darling. Mrs. Eden, looking into the distance. I think I see the dear Duchess. Where? There. I have the honour of knowing her grace slightly. Mrs. Eden moving away. What a sweet woman. Frain following her. Alluring. They disappear through the trees as Muriel, coming from below the hedge, joins Sophie. Darling. What is it, Sophie? Lord Quex and this... this Duchess. They know each other very well, of course. They are old acquaintances, I understand. Ah. Why do you ask? I've just seen them together, talking. Talking? Why not? Yes, but how? How? I'll tell you. After you went indoors to dress, I took off my rings and put them on that table. Looking away rather guiltily. Rings fidget me, this hot weather. Don't they you? Well, just as I'd finished with Mrs. Jack, it suddenly struck me, my rings, and I hurried back to fetch them. When I got here, I came across Lord Quex and the Duchess. Yes? I stooped down behind that hedge there. You did not. Oh, I suppose you consider it mean. Despicable. Despicable it is. I don't care. My goodness, I'd do the shabbiest thing a woman could do to save you from him. Muriel, peering among the trees. Hush, hush, Sophie, on the verge of tears. Perhaps you fancy I'm mean from choice. Perhaps you imagine... Be quiet, Sophie. Sophie, giving a sniff and lowering her voice. Well, here they were, standing exactly where you are, close to each other. Muriel changes her position. I saw her touch his arm. Oh, I'm positive there's something between those two. You will, I heard her say. And then he made a remark about Friday. Friday! The Duchess goes on Friday. That was it, of course. And then she mumbled something I couldn't catch, and then, listen to this, then she said, tonight, quite plainly, tonight, and in such a tone of voice, and then he bowed, and out she came with tonight again, tonight, for the second time, and away she went. Now what do you think that tonight of hers means? Muriel, coldly, seating herself upon the bench. Nothing. Anything. Nothing? A hundred topics of conversation would lead to such an expression. Looking at Sophie steadily. You are mistaken in the construction you put upon it. Mistaken, am I? Muriel with clenched hands. The Duchess of Strud is a most immaculate woman. Suddenly. Oh, it would be too infamous. The Duchess and Frayne, followed by Mrs. Eden, reappear behind the low hedge. Sophie retreats to the back of the bench upon which Muriel is sitting. The Duchess and Frayne approach talking, while Mrs. Eden chats to Sophie across the hedge. Frayne to the Duchess gallantly. I am flattered by your remembrance of me, Duchess. When we last met, I had hardly a grey hair in my head. Running his hand through his hair. Ha! The West Coast. Is the climate so terrible? Deadly. But the worst of it is... With a bow and a sigh. Ah, we have no European ladies. Muriel, eyeing the Duchess, rises shrinkingly and steals away. Frayne, looking after Muriel. Quex, ha, there's a lucky dog now. 
you are delighted naturally at your old friend's approaching marriage frain kissing his fingertips towards the left <sniffs> miss eden inquisitively and and you duchess duchess raising her eyebrows i you also approve his choice approve i am scarcely sufficiently intimate with either party to express approval or disapproval frayne eyeing her askance pardon i thought you had known quicks for uh some years quite superficially i should describe him rather as a great friend of his grace lady albridge appears on the top of the steps are you here duchess duchess turning to her yes lady albridge coming down the steps oh i am really very upset upset about your maid the circumstance has only just been reported to me you have lost your maid seeing frayne is that sir chichester frayne advances and shakes hands i didn't observe you in the dusk have you seen henry i wonder if he is waiting for us in the drawing-room may i go and hunt for him it would be kind of you frayne goes up the steps and away mrs eden comes to the stone bench muriel returns slowly coming from among the trees and appearing on the further side of the low hedge duchess to lady albridge pray don't be in the least concerned for me dear lady albridge the absence of my maid is quite a temporary matter poor watson's father is unwell and i packed her off to him this afternoon she will be back by midday to-morrow she promises me but dear me in the meantime my own woman shall wait upon you i couldn't dream of it why not my gilchrist or let us share her no no the housemaid who assisted me into this gown chalmers well there's chalmers certainly but i fear that chalmers has hot hands or denham no denham is suffering from a bad knee of course there's bruce bruce is painfully nearsighted but would bruce do or little atkins sophie stepping from behind the bench and confronting lady albridge in a quiet voice or i my lady you my dear why shouldn't i attend upon her grace to-night and in the morning with half a curtsy to the duchess i should dearly like to have the honour muriel comes forward staring at sophie now that's very proper and good-natured of you sophie but miss fulgarney oh i never feel like miss fulgarney out of my business my lady you see i was made for years and it's second nature to me do let me my lady do your grace duchess oh oh by all means to sophie thank you the gong sounds in the distance again as quacks now in evening dress and frayne return together above the hedge here is quacks the ladies except muriel join frayne and quacks muriel to sophie what are you doing the housekeeper showed me over the house i remember her maid's room is at the end of a passage leading from the boudoir sophie you must not you shan't why isn't it for the best if i was mistaken over what i heard just now i shan't see or hear anything wicked to-night and that will satisfy both of us 
Lady Albridge calling, Muriel. Muriel joins the group. Sophie slips away and disappears. Lady Albridge to the Duchess. Shall we go in? Lady Albridge and the Duchess and Mrs. Eden and Muriel ascend the steps and go towards the house. Instead of following the ladies, Quacks turns sharply and comes forward with an angry, sullen look upon his face. Frayne, looking round for Quacks. Hello, Harry. Coming to Quacks. Aren't you? Hang dinner. I don't want to eat. Anything wrong, old man? Anything I... Quacks, shaking himself up. No, no, nothing. The hot weather. Come along. We mustn't be late for Grace. Boisterously. At any rate, a glass of champagne. Slapping Frayne on the back. A glass or two of Felix Pobel, eh? Felix Pobel, cut the door. <laughs> As they turn to go, they see Sophie on the other side of the low hedge, looking at them steadily. Quacks to Frayne quietly. Wait. They stand still, while Sophie very demurely walks to the steps, ascends them, and disappears. Quacks, in an altered tone. Chick, you see that hussy? Miss Fulgani? I can't make her out. I believe she wants to play some trick on me. Trick? Upon my soul. I believe she's prying, spying on me. That nice gal. Oh, I dare say I'm wrong. But if I found it so, I'd... I'd wring her neck. Frayne wistfully. It's an alluring neck. Possibly, but I'd wring it. They go up the steps together. End of the second act.